This is The View from Tab. I'm Jim Benick. I'm John Cruz. And I'm Mike Beats. And we have a guest tonight, Mr. Chris Palmer. Are you there? Hello. There he is. Okay. Yeah. Wow. We, um, those of you who have great memories uh, will recall that last week we had tried to get Chris on the show when we started talking about tournament management. And the reason we wanted Chris on the show is because he manages uh, some of the biggest tournaments uh throughout the year that we know of so i mean chris why don't you just actually explain what it is that chris would you please explain what the hell it is that you do (laughs) that may take longer than we have um what i do is uh about let's well let's start about this uh 10 years ago or so the yale tournament um was run the student tournament director was a former extemp student of mine and he asked me if i would come and help out in speech tab and I did that for a number of years at Yale. And then on a similar, a similar uh, plan with an alumnus, I did Columbia. And that was purely speech. Um, others ran debate. And then when our debate LD director left Yale, um, I sort of began to move into a position of overseeing the entire tournament. Because what happens at these college tournaments is they're very large and very complex. And no one was really there to see all of the pieces fit together and make sure that they'd fit properly together and they wouldn't step all over each other and whatnot, which happened a lot back in the old days. And so what I've done is over the last decade is not just directed and simply tabbed them, but more served as a proxy tournament director for them because the trouble with colleges is they have high turnover. You know, kids graduate after four years and Um, don't carry any of the institutional memory with them. So I'm more or less their um, outsourced external uh, institutional memory. Uh, The person who closest comes the close to approximating what a tournament director does at a high school tournament where there's a head coach who's always there and always makes it his vision. That's what I do for the colleges. Yeah, I'm thinking, I mean, the colleges, I mean, you do the Yale, Princeton, um, UPenn, Columbia. That's correct. And um, I mean, those and plus you do other stuff, too. But those four tournaments, um, uh, you know, after about three years, it'll always be all new people that yes. are running that tournament as compared to, say, Harvard, where I mean, Dallas and Sherry have been running that tournament for as long as I remember. Um, and, you know, so they have their own they have they are an institution and they have an institutional memory in these other places. Um, and this has always been my. Um, wariness about college tournaments before you got involved in this was you never knew what you were going to get when you went to the tournament, whether it would be run well or not. It was it was a crap shoot. And I think one of the things that you've done by becoming their institutional memory is taking the crap shooting out of it and making the tournaments, um, you, know, you know, responsible. Um, you know, they, they, they deliver what they say they're going to deliver. So it's really made those tournaments a different experience altogether. But the thing is, I mean, this, I mean, from my point of view, because I, I tabbed those tournaments in LD, this seems like an incredible amount of work on your part to do this. I mean, how long before, like, let's take Yale. I mean, how many people are at Yale? Like, you know, 500, 800, something oh, like that. Oh, much more. Uh, Yale will draw about, uh, last year I drew about 1,300 students. Okay. Um, and, and we're then, in uh, all kinds of buildings. So, yeah, 400 or so judges on top of that then. Yeah. And coaches. There were 138 schools from, I believe, 21 different states. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, it's big, and we we run it at one, two, three, four different geographical locations throughout New Haven on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, you know, we run LD, we run policy, we run PF, we run speech, we run Congress. Uh, yeah, so it's it's a big deal. It takes yeah. a lot. Yeah, I mean, I mean, when do you actually start working with the Yale people for next year? Uh, the week after the previous one. And you do have repeat 
people that will be there, or at least some of them will be back again, well, right? Well, that's actually one of the things we've changed recently, and it's made my life a lot better. Um, Yale, in particular, used to be in a funny position because it's so early in the school year. Um, and what would happen is, you know, at Yale, we've always had this challenge as of what do we do with the freshmen? Um, because the most useful thing for a local host, the, the question that they most often get asked, especially at a sprawling college campus, is where is this building? And a freshman who has just landed himself or herself in New Haven three weeks ago often doesn't know, <laughs> know where answer, that building right. is. Yeah. You know, if, if mm -hmm. it's not their English class, they have no idea where it is. Mm -hmm. um, and so we didn't really necessarily, the freshmen kind of wander through the tournament without uh, either interacting with it a great deal or learning from it a great deal. And then what the Yaleys used to do is they'd make their tournament directors be sophomores. And so you'd essentially get somebody running the tournament and running the whole show who had had little to no responsibility in any Yale tournament prior to that. Um, and that had to do with the internal structure of their team and who was available and whatnot. And what I did is a couple of maybe four or three years ago is I forced through a change where you, we have now a board of three or four sophomores who do a lot of the heavy lifting and then there'll be two or so assistant tournament director or tournament director types who are juniors who were previously one of those sophomores. And then there's a, usually a senior, sometimes a junior, who sits on the YDA's own board, who is their tournament coordinator and is like the grand poobah of all things tournament. And that captures a little bit more institutional memory within the team. But the trouble these parliamentary teams have, and, and the Columbia, Princeton, and, and Yale tournaments are all run by parliamentary debate programs, is that the colleges themselves don't support them. They don't have staff. They don't have people. And that's so one of the big differences between, of course, a college policy debate team and a college parliamentary team in a lot of these cases, right? Which is Absolutely. Uh, yeah. They don't have a full-time staff person. Like sometimes they will hire somebody who graduated from their program two years ago and now goes to Yale Law School, and they'll throw a couple thousand bucks at the person and name them a coach. But it's not the same. It's not a Dallas Perkins or a J.W. Patterson or somebody like that. I'm, I'm just – I mean this changes the subject completely. But what is – what do – how much debating do – debate – not parliamentary teams, but I mean whatever – you know, policy debate is in college. How much do they debate? I mean, do they debate every week like uh, high schools do or I'm almost sure every week? I'm pretty sure the Parley kids do. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's one of these deals, though. It's the team debates every week, but not all the kids debate right. every week. Mm -hmm. um, but I gather that there are more kids on your average Parley team. There will be a core of people who really do debate every week. And mm -hmm. their tournaments don't have entry limits and things like that. So they can, if they want to, debate every week. Mm -hmm. Is the policy the same thing? Does anybody know about that? Uh, they, uh, they debate pretty frequently. I don't know that, mm -hmm. that every. It's the same kind of situation. I mean, it's like, move, it's like well, a high, high school, school moves around too. It's, yeah. right, it's the same. Mm -hmm. It's the same kind of thing. But I mean, they. I assume they travel uh, a lot. Yeah. You know, because they're going to other colleges yeah, and well, at some high level. College policy, high. You know, pretty high level college policy. I think travels larger geographic distances than most parley teams. I could be wrong about that on West Coast policy. Parley, but certainly East Coast Parley is a little more compact because uh, you know the Northeast is sort of a more uh, a more densely populated area in terms yes. of what colleges are competing. Yeah, APTA, which is the league that these colleges um, participate in, um, basically consists of a swath of colleges that runs from Maine down to about North Carolina, and. Beyond that, I know UChicago competes, and they pretty much fly every weekend. And Stanford competes, and they pretty much fly every weekend. But the main thrust of it is the Northeast megalopolis. That's it. And so, so they drive a lot. So the parliamentary teams are using this presumably to make money. I mean, that this is their fundraiser. Yep, absolutely. Mm -hmm. They okay. receive very little funding from their own colleges. As compared so. to the policy teams, which may or may not be. I mean, I, I gather Harvard actually does use the Harvard tournament to fund. Right. Their I team. mean, I, I think. You know, co college policy teams also host college tournaments, and I'm, right. I, I imagine that it's the same kind of situation that most schools mm -hmm. find, where they're not getting a significant amount of money from the school, or if they are, it's probably from alumni as opposed to, uh, you know, some sort of regular fund from the school. Okay. Well, okay. Um, this brings a, a question that we we talked about last week, and this has been an issue with a, a couple of the college tournaments. Um, if somebody wants to start a tournament from scratch, they, 
I mean, first of all, I had to figure out why they want to do it, but also they have to figure out when they want to do it. Now, we've had issues with the college tournament. I had an uh, issue when I ran a college tournament with this, with dates. Well, so. what you did the va- I mean, you did the yeah. Vassar tournament, and, and dates I know were a big problem It was for a you. huge problem. Uh, I mean, and this is you know a tournament distinct from the round robin that I run. That round robin is pretty pretty much a simple affair to to org. I mean, that has its own challenges. But in terms of getting a date, you're not you know you're not drawing tons of people away from other tournaments. Putting a full on tournament against other tournaments is really difficult. Well, you had Vassar like in March or something. Yeah, I had I had it much later in the year. One thought originally was, oh, maybe people want a March-April tournament. Then I discovered people don't really want a March-April tournament. No, they don't. I mean, tournament, <laughs> the season is over. I mean, yeah. I actually sent out a message to my team today saying that the, the season is over, you know. I mean, aside from the couple of uh, things. I mean, no, it's, it's a long season, and it has to end at some point. We do this too much. So, yeah, March is rough for a tournament. Sure, and I mean, specifically on that that topic, I thought that would be a big draw. Not mm-hmm. not really. Uh mm-hmm. It seems that you know more people are happy continuing to debate the January February topic, uh, if they're going to debate late and rather debate something they've already. That's, been be, that's become yeah. the default position for um, anyway. The, yeah, the second half of the year. You know, I mean, yeah. it's just January February is the January February March April May June yeah. topic. Well, not June, but May because you know people are going for TOCs. Sure, sure. So other than that, I mean, we had the issue with. I mean, the one tournament. That has moved around probably more than any other tournament ever. The greatest moving target of tournaments is the UPenn tournament. Yep. That has been, I mean, when I f- went to it last time, it was nice and warm. It was September or early October. I forget which. Um, now it actually was originally founded in January, actually. Really? Okay, yeah. that's, even, that's before my time. Then. The original date mm-hmm. of the UPenn was, I believe, the first or second weekend of January. Which would have been Lexington or MBA, presumably. Yeah, one of those two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and then I guess it went to early well, in the year. A lot of its moving has been my fault, even from before I moved it. I, I ran it. Um, there was a year where um, there were various conflicts in New Haven. Um, they had their alumni weekend or something, and so we had to move Yale. And so we more or less shoved them out of their normal weekend because at that time mm-hmm. Yale was a much better tournament than Penn and, well, they didn't have much choice. And mm-hmm. I more or less took the attitude that I'm willing to elbow aside another college tournament much more than I'm willing to try to elbow aside a high school run tournament. Yeah. And that's been one of my golden rules with running these college tournaments is the college tournaments should, if they have to compete, compete as much as possible against other college tournaments mm-hmm. because you know enough money – gets funneled out of our activity to go to other admittedly related activities as it is that I wanted to try to minimize the impact of that as much as I could. Yeah. I mean, I think the college turn, I mean, the college tournaments serve a, a nice purpose. It, it allows high school kids. Uh, I mean, all these high school kids aren't going to Ivy's uh, when they go to college, but it allows them to go to a college, walk around, get a feel for what a college is like and things like that. So they serve a, um, they're a brochure for college life, so to speak, in some regards. So I like going to colleges for that. But you're right. I mean, if I've ever had to choose between a college and a high school, I've always chosen the high school. I mean, there was a while where um, Columbia and I think uh, Newark were uh, always up against each other. And I always went to Newark. I mean, it never occurred to me to go to Columbia because, well, you know, it's, you know, it's, there's a high school, you know, to which I had a, a higher commitment so we had i mean i guess you're right i mean so upenn and yale were bouncing around and the, the problem with the early in the year because the jewish holidays are problematic because they can they can really close out a weekend yeah, this um, year they closed mm-hmm. out two in fact the yeah. last two weekends of september both got eliminated by the jewish high mm-hmm. holidays and then the for us here the high school tournaments begin with uh, columbus day weekend with the monticello tournament so there's not a lot of leeway and the other thing of course is uh, the earlier a tournament is in the year, um, I mean, there's a couple of exceptions, I mean, notable exceptions to this, but the earlier a tournament is the in, in the year, the less, you know, it's hard to get momentum going in September. I think it's easy to get momentum go, to go to Green Hill, you know, or to go, to go to Texas, one of the big tournaments in Texas, because you're sending a handful of your mm. top kids who are pointed to it as compared I to. I don't know if I think, agree with that. I mean, I think. I guess, I guess, I guess I understand your point. Maybe that, maybe that's true, but on but another level for being able to say, let's have a big squad thing in the beginning at Yale at a college, that's a pretty big selling point to kids who, uh, 
Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, kids who, who want to compete in a quality tournament, Yale is a quality tournament. That, that's an, an easy sell. But kids who are not 100% sure about how much they want to debate, saying let's go to Yale, is gen- I find to be a pretty big selling point. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm – Yeah, but for that. Yale, I mean, you're going to already have schools started, whereas for Green, uh, for Green Hill, I mean, that tournament – Registration well, that, closes before our school course. pretty much that, but starts. But that tournament also, it, 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 because it has that uh, that those kinds of entry limits and it's catering towards those crowds. It's catering towards the people who are debate obsessed, which is good. I mean, that's the kind of tournament that it is, right? So, so I, I don't know that it's. I, I I think that that tournament attracts exactly who it needs and wants to attract. If that yeah, makes no sense. one's going to go to Green Hill who doesn't know they're going to Green Hill in May. I mean, no one's going right, to wait exactly, till the school year. Exactly. So. So anyhow, so we ended up with UPenn having done its stints bouncing around in October and in January and in September, having been bounced out of January. Why did it get bounced out of January? I mean, it just it would seem that up against NBA would not have been a terrible weekend for it to have. Been. Um, I think they got snowed out a couple times. This is before my time, so I don't honestly mm-hmm. know. But uh, winter I, sucks. Yeah, yeah, winter sucks, and. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe. Well, if school's down. if school's not in session, um, it's probably tough to get any help. Yeah. If, if they're on yeah. break. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, and that that also uh, leads to another thing, which is that the policies at colleges t- sometimes inform a lot of how they do co- tournaments as well. Um, if they're in break, it might have been an ideal time beforehand, but then all of a sudden the colleges say they're not willing to open up rooms during break and they're screwed. Yeah, uh, or they have to pay a lot to. Yeah, uh, Mike. I mean, for the VBI, I mean, you're doing that at a university, right? Yeah, and this year we had a huge bill for. Uh, <laughs> to, and to presumably the school isn't open yet. I mean, they're all still on That's break, right? right? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I thought I was doing mm-hmm. them a favor by scheduling it, um, on a time when they were going to be off, uh, mm-hmm. you know, on break, and it ended up being a huge hassle and and um, you know uh, and and very expensive. But but to, so all of the colleges. Are, are charging for the rooms? Is that uh, oh, I absolutely. Have, that's interesting. <laughs> See, I didn't have one, one. interesting thing is that at at Vassar, I didn't. They never actually charged me for the rooms. They still don't charge me for the round robin. So I think it depends. I hope they're not on, listening to this. They'll get the idea. It's, <laughs> it's probably you know it probably depends on, you know, on the relationship. Right. I think that's totally true. It yeah. Could, it, it just takes one person to say, "Oh, we're going to support this," and it just yeah. gets supported. Um, well. Actually, that's not. I'm sorry. That's not strictly speaking true, though. At some of these colleges, I mean, at Yale in particular, they have to deal with about a half dozen different offices and authorities and whatnot. I mean, I mean, a lot of places. What I'm saying saying is that someone high enough could say, right? Like at at um, at uh, UCLA, for example, they weren't even going to let us use any rooms outside of the law school, and it just took someone even higher up in charge of you know, all of facilities to say mm-hmm. it's okay. Yeah. Um, and, and and I think this is also points to why uh, sometimes a smaller college is, is a more ideal vet. I mean, yeah, obviously you should start a tournament wherever you want to start one, but uh, but a smaller college can in many ways be an ideal venue because it's, it, there's a greater likelihood that you're going to have more of a personal connection with the higher-ups or know somebody who has a personal connection, right? I mean, when you're, when you're at a larger university, things get a little more bureaucratic. Mm-hmm. But it seems like the larger university is also going to be a bigger attraction. Right. Well, that, that's true. That's true. Well, there's also facilities like hotels and restaurants yeah. nearby that you rely on. We uh, have the Econo Lodge in Poughkeepsie. Mike used to stay there before. It's pretty you scary. have baby cakes for serving pastries. We do uh, pastries. have baby cakes, yeah. which is a delicious place. <laughs> well, I mean, it takes, it takes a lot more planning when you're running a college tournament because, yeah. you know, oh, you have to assign, you know, college kids to be in charge of things like hospitality whereas a mom loves doing that kind of stuff you kind of got a uh and 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 you know maybe has a credit card that can pay for a lot of the stuff up front and all that stuff when you're dealing with college kids you know they might not have a you know they don't all have cars to go make a run to costco and it's uh you know we we, i I, there are definitely I think it takes a lot more planning, and then just the making sure that all the doors are open, and making sure that you have a phone number you can call if if a door is locked. If you don't have those sort of things in place, a college tournament is, from what I can see, is is a lot more difficult. Plus, yep. from just if if we're getting to a turn like how to run a tournament perspective, you don't have the same sort of central meeting area that's as defined 
as there is at high school tournaments where everyone just goes sits in the cafeteria at a college tournament you know once someone leaves the main where they turn their ballot in it can take a long time to find judges or you know uh to you we have to i think that we allocate an extra 20 minutes just for judge pickup and 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 you know to pick up their ballots just because if they walked off campus somewhere you know uh they you know it could take them a long time to get back um whereas at a high school a high school is less likely to one be in a commercial area like a college is so there's no real incentive to leave campus plus high schools you know because they have great hospitality and things like that people are less likely to leave too so i just want to there's a, a job that um covers some of this that we wouldn't have at a high school. We certainly have at some of the colleges. An ombudsman? No, 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 no. no. That, this that, is that a this tournament. No, so. This is a call-in thing where people oh, sure. are calling in their – the judges call in – no, text in. Excuse me. They text their results from the rounds, and this speeds us up enormously. You know, enormously. We did this uh, – the best I think we've done this was at um, – Princeton, which is very spread out. People could be a bazillion miles away. They had a Google Voice account. So um, this people would text to that number, and then we would get this all as a regular just website kind of things. Which is you could just somebody could just read off the results, and these aren't the final results, but it, you know because we double check everything as the ballots come in. But it allows us to get everything paired um, and to to eliminate that. Uh, 20 minutes of just you know people wandering back uh to 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 drop off their ballots i mean um that is uh the the thing that slows you down the most so people texting their results and having somebody whose job it is to just get those results i mean they you know just have to you sit here get the results, read them to us, write them down, whatever the case may be. Um, an extremely important job at one of these spread out college tournaments. And as I say, Princeton, um, very useful. Some of the others hasn't been as important. Um, but the further away you are from wherever the tab room is, uh, the better that is as a job. That also uh, brings up another interesting difference between colleges and a lot of high school tournaments too is just as much as there are all of these extra things that need to be done, there are oftentimes many fewer people available to do them. Your average college debate squad is actually quite small and uh, surprisingly small um, for a lot of people. Uh, you might have Columbia in particular for years had maybe 10, 15 total members. And that does not give you a large fund of people to draw on for runners and pallet table staff and, and all of the things that need to be done. Um, before and afterwards. And the other thing is that those people running those tournaments are much less effective on their campuses than a high school debate coach will be in their high school. Um, the default position of the various associate deans of obstruction towards a, high, a college student is no. No. The last time we opened up a classroom at 9 a.m. on a Sunday morning, that was so people could make a water slide in it of beer. No. You know, there, there are all of these incidents that happen at a college because screw up college kids do weird things that when there's a strange request such as, can I please use this entire building at 7 a.m. on Saturday? Um, it takes a lot of convincing for that one to get through. So. I mean, in a way, that's the same convincing at a high school when you're just starting out with, for me, the tournament has been at my high school for a long time, but my principals were for a long time changing uh, with the wind. And every time I had a new principal, he was like, you want to do what, you know, kind of thing. And and so, you know, um, it, it doesn't, I mean, to the newness. Uh, yeah, if anybody doesn't know what this is about, and then we tell them what we're doing, they look at you like you're crazy. You know, so I can imagine in colleges that could be a real issue because they're not having, um, you know, they don't have that relationship with yep. with those people. And even if you do build the relationship with the dean who signs the paper, that doesn't mean the security guard is going to believe the paper when you show it to him at Saturday at 7 a.m. Mm -hmm. And, oh boy, is it fun to lose a building about an hour before your rounds are supposed to begin. You know? I'm thinking one of the hardest jobs of a college tournament that I have seen, I've seen this specifically at Princeton because I got sort of involved in it, but I've seen it other places as well, is uh, assigning the rooms, which, Chris, you do that. And yes. that to me is, 
I mean, how many, I mean, you're talking, you know, how many rooms are some of these tournaments? And then they're moving around um, and one division goes in and another division goes out and everything. I mean, that's, that's just a crazy job. That's a horrible job. Well, it's, it's complex to the point and uh, that I'll tell this story of Columbia, I think, two or three years ago, um, that a tournament director... Uh, who shall rename Nameless, and uh, Matt Scarola went oh. and put together a schedule. And Matt was a former LDR. He knew, the, yeah. he knew what was up. But he put together a schedule that I worked off of to assign rooms. And, well, you all are debate coaches. If you're going to have a JVLD division or a novice LD division and it's going to have a round five, what would you like to have before round five? I would go with round four as my first choice. Well, Matt might disagree with you on that one. <laughs> so he, he saved a lot of time and a lot of room by going right from three to five. And boy, that would have moved the day along nicely. But um, Well, and- actually, what you're saying is a very, I mean, in a high school tournament with, a, with nothing but debate, a couple of divisions, my schedule is we're going to have a couple of rounds on Friday and the rest of the rounds on Saturday. Okay, that's the extent of my scheduling. And you're right. right. I mean, with college scheduling and you're going to have all these things, you really actually do have to schedule. And the punchline of that story is that I stared at that schedule for about two solid days working through how to fit it all into the 70-odd rooms or 80-odd rooms that Columbia had available. And I didn't notice that round four was missing because (laughs) at no point was I ever able to fit in my head more than about a half hour's worth of the day. We schedule the rooms in 15-minute increments. Okay, at this time, this is going to be in there, and then this is going to be in there. And you have to be very careful to leave enough buffer time on either end to make sure that people are actually going to be out of there when you need them to be out of there. Um, And so the fact that we had no round four just flew right over me because I just didn't look at the schedule from that much distance. I do now, certainly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, one of the things I've noticed, and this is, uh, I guess it's just evolved into this, uh, but there are usually debate rounds on the Friday, no no speech rounds on the Friday, which gives the debate people a head start. And if at all possible, we do this at a couple of places. Saturday debate rounds are shipped out somewhere. I mean, we certainly do that at Yale. We have a high school we go to. We did that this year at Columbia for the first time. Had a high school that we went to. I know that it's been done at Princeton. They've shipped out PF, I guess, to some. And and high last school. year we actually shipped out speech at Princeton as well. Oh, good. Has there ever been? Um, I'm a big proponent of not starting tournaments on Friday to try to avoid missing an extra day of school. Yeah, that's why I like um, to wait starting tournaments on Friday. To why don't more tournaments do Saturday, Sunday, and then Monday at the hotel or something like that to minimize the number of kids that would have to miss school? Well, you're still missing for Monday, right? Well, not you have, what, 16 kids that are... But the whole team is going to stay if you traveled yeah. there, so... Not necessarily. I mean... Well, uh, uh, at a public school, they're going... I mean, I'm just saying from the perspective of a, a school where you... Not, where you uh, okay, but let's say you live in... New Haven, or let's say you live within drive. Right, sure. I mean, if it's mm-hmm. something that that has more of a local or regional draw, I think that makes sense. Yeah, sure. I'm not talking about a. Ma- I mean, well, the other major, major, the other major ahead. trouble there is that the college students tend not to have class on Friday themselves, but they definitely have class on Monday, and uh, that true. means both their rooms aren't available to them and they're not available to them as well. Okay. Uh, the other funny thing about Yale is that nobody lives in New Haven. There have been years where we ran Yale, and there were 20 states there, and Connecticut was not one of them. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Connecticut yeah, is just, this great black hole. It just hole. seems like a huge uphill, I, and I don't, I, and I don't really understand why that there's that. It just seems for for my team, I, mm-hmm. it, it's always easier to 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 uh, start on Saturday as opposed to Friday. Um, but that might just be because we have to when we fly west to east. Sure, you know we have to miss an extra day almost yeah. always. So. Well, then UPenn does not run Friday rounds. UPenn is solely Saturday, Sunday, and has been. Right, and smaller forever. tournaments could just be Saturday, Sunday sometimes, too. Yeah. Well, I, th- I mean, Saturday, Sunday, if you really have the space and the time, and if you're not coming from terribly, terribly far, uh, we had, what, five rounds at UPenn on Saturday? We had that's all right. the prelims on, and we could have conceivably had a sixth round if necessary. Yeah, well, Greenhill uh, Green mm-hmm. does seven prelims and out rounds on, on Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, I mean, it can be. It's a, there's going to be squeezed in, but it, I mean, it can be done. I mean, that. But, but they have dedicated LD rooms, right? Oh, yeah, Do they right. single flight too? No, they single no. flight. 
Occasionally really? they'll send One it round, like last yeah. round on sun- Saturday night, yeah. mm-hmm. but that's only to try to get us out of there earlier on Saturday right. night. Otherwise, yeah. double flighted. Well, and we do the VBT did you know seven rounds in mm-hmm. triple octafinals um, in, in two, two days. days? Yeah. Really? And did you have wow. single? You must have some singles. What's that? Some single flighting. No single that? flight. Well, the only single flight was uh, triples. And triples was single flighted. We double flighted octos, and then we triple flight or double flighted yeah. du- doubles. So you people are going to get there Friday night, um, yep. and they're going to leave Monday morning. Is that the Monday morning? Some mm-hmm. people left. I mean, because you know you have because uh, we had some teams that you know drove. Some of them could leave Sunday night if they didn't clear anyone. But most people leave Monday morning. Hmm. And what time on Sunday night do you finish? Ten, nine thirty, or ten. Okay. See, the college that they'll typically finish up around four or five. Right. Um, I mean, sent, it seems to me like you're just shifting the time. Yeah, I don't think yeah. you're getting any great benefit out of it. So um, Friday night well, becomes Sunday night. I mean, mm-hmm. if you start on Friday, then people are going to fly in Thursday. You know, it's 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 just adding extra an extra day of. I mean, if you're coming from far enough, I guess. But I mean, for us, I mean, the normal process is, I mean, if the furthest I'm going to go means I get up early on uh, Friday morning. We get on the bus at 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock. But we're not flying anywhere. Yeah, but the no. bus could be four or five hours. Um on the yellow well, school bus. Yeah. In Yale in particular, and a lot of the college tournaments in the Northeast, their major travel center is Florida. Um, for whatever reason, Florida tends to come up to the Northeast for the tournaments a lot, particularly at Yale. And for them in particular, if we end at 5, they can go home easily on Sunday night. But if you end at 10, there's just not a chance. They're Are they flying stay. out of uh, New York? Are they going down to Yeah, Florida? usually New York, sometimes Hartford. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, I guess that works. because It's not that long a flight. Yeah, yeah. So like what three hours? The, the time just I mean, there's no time, there's no time uh, change. That's the, right, right. Yeah, yeah, that's the big benefit. Yeah, you you're coming from the West Coast. Coming east is miserable. Going back is great. You become a morning person all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> coming this why, way. Why don't more tournaments? And this is not, not to Chris specifically because I don't expect. Why don't more tournaments start later and end later? What? What? I've Most often of my wondered kids that. are like, I would love, to, and I too, I would love to start at 10 a.m. instead of 8 a.m. and get done at 8 p.m. instead of 6 or 9. Well, I can tell you one reason why that one thing against it. I mean, I, I don't disagree because I would love the extra sleep. One issue is, at least for speaking as the coach of Bronx Science, when we're driving back on a bus, our parents like are going to flip out if they're getting, they have to pick up their kids at 2 a.m. as opposed to, you know, 10 a.m. or 10 p.m. or something like that. Uh, I yeah, a little of that goes a long way. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, just even even on like uh, Saturday, for example, why start Saturday? So, well, the other aspect or, is is if well, you start. I mean, if the tournament goes on until Sunday, oh, I see right. what you're talking. Yeah. yeah, if you start at 8 a.m. though, you have those two hours in the bank. If you start at 10 and something goes wrong, you're not going to get them back. So, if you're assuming that there might be a strong possibility something screws up. And you start at ten, then you're pushed to midnight if something goes wrong. Whereas if you start earlier, then you then you have the option to go later without getting into too much trouble. I mean, yeah. Yale is the notorious the midnight rounds at Yale. I mean, after <laughs> midnight rounds at Yale. This Chris is before your time, I hope. Oh yes. Oh, no, I remember. Them. No, <laughs> and, you're, you're talking. You're yeah. talking about Stanford. I started a run at. A, I remember a round that was at one a.m. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I remember we, people up in arms and blah 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 and right, storming Stanford. the tab room. About Stanford, that that's. I've like, heard Stanford mm-hmm. just is notoriously bad about these things. Yeah, the um the year the year at Yale where it all went wrong actually was a funny story about sort of how college students can go horribly horribly wrong quickly. Um, they the the field in VLD was getting quite large, and so I said to them, "Well, we should probably put a cap on this thing. This is getting too big." and uh, waitlist some of these kids. And at that point, the field was 220 debaters. And um, the tournament director said, oh, yeah, that sounds reasonable. That's way, way too many. We should, we should have like 160, 180 maximum. Um, and then the Yale Debate Association board, which is not the tournament director, stepped in and said, no, take all 220. We want the money. 
And that led nearly directly to the 1.30 a.m. rounds and, uh-huh. um, and very much strained the campus. It strained the ability of us as tabbers to run it. It strained everything except for their checkbook. And well, it's so, changed, strained, it had to strain their checkbook the next year and well, the next number it, of years. They didn't lose any – I mean, they, I, the, the way it strained their checkbook is that I threw an epic hissy fit mm-hmm. and said that, you know, next year the cap is going to be 160. Well, actually, no. Yeah. There was one – there was before. This was when my daughter was going to uh, – Oh, that year. That year because <laughs> yes. that did um, – after that, a lot of people stopped, including my team, stopped going to Yale because it was like out of control. And yep. then uh, Tim Averill was in the tab and helping control it. And then you got involved. Then we started going back again. But, um, yeah, if you get really screwed at a tournament and you sense that there isn't anything in place to correct what – I mean, yeah, things go wrong. But, you know, if, in fact, there's something that looks systemic uh, that goes wrong, uh, you're very shy about going back to that tournament again. Yeah. Their big problem then is they were attempting to tab it themselves right. and uh, didn't have much idea how to tab a tournament. I've poked my head into APTA tournaments every now and then. And if you ever want to see some people screwing up a tab, <laughs> my God, they just don't have any idea what they're doing. I mean, their own APTA tournaments are it's, – it's funny because we have all these complaints about college tournaments. They run slow. They're too expensive. They're weird and they're random. Our even the worst high school college uh, college hosted high school tournament is nothing compared to what they go to week after week. It's it's unbelievable how bad their tab rooms are. I went to one to ask a question and asked where the tab director was, and they said she's judging around. <laughs> it's like, oh really? <laughs> well, that's interesting. Doesn't that seem ill-advised? I, mean, I can think of I can think of. I during my exceedingly brief APTA career, and you know there are a lot of former LDRs in APTA, and, and so this did is you not, use a briefcase? You know, I did not use a briefcase. <laughs> uh, I did use a briefcase uh, throughout my high school career. That might be true, the, but anyway, um, the I did not use a briefcase, but I also tried to help out in tab to do things, and uh, I must say that the lack of transparency in many of these kinds of tournaments, at least when I was in college, was very very troubling. Oh yeah, very troubling. I think that I think that has changed somewhat, though, right? I mean, no, they're still closed yeah. tabs. But if you know somebody, you can get leaks. Um, mm-hmm. They, I'll, I went to nationals. The nationals were hosted at MIT, so it was local to me uh, two years ago. And one of my former extempers, Josh Bone, was going to be debating, and it was his last debate tournament ever. So I decided, okay, now's the time to go watch Parley debate for the first time. So I went and watched his quarterfinal round. And um, then everybody – and I'm saying, okay, let's go wait for the results. And they said, no, we're going to go to lunch. And I looked at them funnily and said, well, don't you want to find out who's in the semi? And they said, oh, they won't be ready for another hour, hour and a half at least. <laughs> and I'm saying there are four quarterfinals. There are five judges in each. You have to count to three, four times. How difficult could this be? But what happens is they all in tab, they'll get, they'll get the semi set. And then they fight for an hour about who gets to judge these rounds. There are all of these regional um, disparities and differences within APTA, and they want to make sure that their region is appropriately represented. And since there are no grown-ups involved, there's no one to say, shut up and let's just do the round. (laughs) So so they think they're doing fantastically when they run these tournaments, even, even the Stanford tournament, which I've heard has done horrible things. They probably think they're ahead of the curve because they're only four hours late. You know, and their entry That's fees true. are outrageous too. Actually, I, you just raised a point that um, is worth, um, exp- you know, going a little further on, talking about having adults. B- because, Chris, because you're there now, all you are surrounded in all the tabbing by adults. I mean, you have brought in, um, you know, you've brought in myself and Vaughn and, you know, Chavez and, you know, Charlie Sloat and so forth and so on. Yeah, you know, 10, 12 people that pretty much go to all these tournaments along with you, yes. you know, to do the tabbing. So, I mean, it's not just the one individual. I mean, it, you know, which is not to diminish what you've done, but you've also like, you know, buffered yourself with all these <laughs> other individuals as well, which does. And, and this was one of the things we said last week, which was never tab the tournament yourself. So, um, you know, bringing in experienced tab people, um, 
you know, it, 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 you just can't discount the importance of having people who know what they are doing in the tab room. Yeah, and that's one of the things that can be really difficult for a Yale sophomore to wrap their head around because these are very bright kids. These are kids who have been told all their lives that they are smart and then if they put their mind to it, they can do anything. And then reality smacks them in the head and, you know, they, they can't. They can't necessarily do everything perfectly the first time. I'm sure if they put their minds to it over, over years, they could probably come up with a good tapping system. But there's no substitute when you're five minutes away from getting the round out to having been there before when TRPC threw up that funny little error. You know, there's no substitute to knowing how to handle a coach when a coach is angry about something. Um, you know, having been there before will always lead to a better answer quicker than no matter how smart you are trying to figure it out on the fly. Well, and, and you can't, you don't, I'm oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was telling off. I, w I was going to say, and you can't, I've often said that running a, to me, running the VBT is way more stressful from a what happens if I screw up standpoint than running the Victory Briefs Institute. Uh, because at least, you know, obviously at the Institute, you have huge liability type things going on that I stress a lot about. But from mm. a, we made a mistake and you were placed in the wrong lab is way easier to fix than we made a mistake and you didn't show up on the schedule yeah, because, uh, at a debate tournament. Because at camp, you have the opportunity to spend two weeks then trying to fix it and make it better. A tournament, if a you know one screw-up can ruin the entire experience for 100 and however many, 200 people. And you don't have that time to catch up because if you screw up one round, everything gets pushed off behind by you know it, it it it's a it causes a chain yeah. reaction that yeah. you can't just say okay we're going to sleep on it and catch back up tomorrow it doesn't work that way at a tournament and when you're running a tournament that's so full and so at capacity both in time and in people you don't get your second chance you just there's right. no time there's no room if there were room for a second chance you would hold more rounds or you'd let more kids off the wait list or something you right. know debate debate tends to expand to fill all available space but that means right. we don't have a margin so I wanted to go back to the point about uh, letting, you know, unlimited people in um, or, or a lot of people in. I have found, and I was actually talking to uh, Matt Frazier, the director of the Stanford tournament, about this a little bit. And, um, you know, as you allow, and this isn't to be hostile towards public forum, um, but public forum brings with them, because we the, the most problems that we had this year at the Victor Beast tournament came from the public forum division hmm. because – you have non-expert people, you know, you have judges that don't realize that they have to be around to pick up ballots. And you have, you know, that they can just say, oh, I'm not going to go to this round. Or they'll constantly come knocking on the door of the tab room saying, when is the next round going to be out? Um, the same thing happens when you start allowing additional, you know, huge LD entries too, because then they're bringing judges that are less expert, that are less, you know, less fast at getting ballots and don't realize the norms of the activity that make the, that make things go quickly. I've found that the fault of tournaments running behind is very rarely the fault of the kids. It's almost always the fault of an adult, a judge, a coach or something for that matter. Yeah. That was just, that was, that, uh, that was my point about uh, letting, cause you're not just letting more people in. You're also letting in, the the less experienced people when it comes to both the kids and the judges. Well, that's also a good reason to have a per school cap in addition to an overall cap. Um, yeah. If you have that one school with 20 kids and 20 entries, you know, their 20th kid, no matter how good a program they are, that 20th kid is dumb. Okay. <laughs> that kid, that kid is going to screw something up. And if you just let everybody bring their top four or top five, then you usually end up with just the coach themselves coming with just their best kids and uh, it makes everything move much, much quicker. This doesn't explain why the kid who goes to the wrong round and debates on the wrong side <laughs> always gets the judge who doesn't know it. 
You know, <laughs> I mean, why does that always happen? And then because you get this, when the kid <laughs> finds the judge who does know it, we never hear about it. I guess that's it. Because this get is these, like the uh, dark side of tournaments that most high school kids are not aware happen. I mean, having oh, to. I know there's some listener right oh. now thinking this doesn't really happen. Oh my god, it does happen. And then you're trying the to rebuild on. I mean, this is the kind of thing that will stop. It. I mean, we're experienced, and we can fix this. But I mean, it always you look at what. You know, I mean, there's, there's always going to be this what moment at every tournament where it's something that hasn't happened before that required a confluence of real stupid people to have gotten together <laughs> just this once miraculously so that they could present you with this problem. Um, well, that could be the really terrifying thing, too, when you get this tab room with 12 people who've been tabbing collectively for 150 years, and yet somehow the tournament finds a situation where all of us say, gosh, I never heard that one before. It does <laughs> happen. Really need to run, you know? <laughs> it definitely happens, too. On a, on a distressingly regular basis. I mean, yeah. speech tournaments are like, and forensics tournaments are like sausage. You like the result, but you do not want to see how they're made. They're just, it's ugly sometimes. We do get, I mean, what, one of the things that, um, I mean, the other thing which um, is, is important, and I think especially important at the college tournaments, which is briefly touched on, was, um, I mean, because Mike, you were talking about just uh, liabilities and stuff like that. But one of the, now, I mean, Chris, I mean, for those who don't know it, Chris has written software called tabroom.com, which manages both registrations and it also does the tabbing of the speech. And I'm bringing it to the West Coast. You know, and you use this. <laughs> oh, boy. And um, I mean, and, and um, but one of the things that you can turn on, and I think we all turn this on, is, I mean, for high schools as well, but especially important to colleges, is that there has to be an adult with the kids. That um, I mean, this is hard to actually make happen sometimes at the registrations because registrations happen and they're a furious well, hour. It, does, it doesn't happen. It's not a problem when they know that you're going to mm-hmm. inject them from the tournament without an adult. Yeah, yeah. Well, it only like, takes uh, one. Mm-hmm. as I may have done a couple of years ago, as Mr. Menick might recall. I, I've, believe me, I've I've taken to sitting in at my own registration, which I've learned from other people. I do not let kids run registration. I let kids uh, sit with me. You know, but I'm, I mean, in my high school, I'm running it. I know that Chris runs the registrations at the colleges. You need somebody there. Um, I know a lot of, it usually is high school, more than colleges, but you'll have the registration and they'll give it to kids because it makes the kids feel important. But the people who are registering can get away with murder. And yep. uh, when you have an adult sitting there, uh, there is no murder because you, because I say, well, you're a kid, uh, you can't register. Well, that's also one of those jobs that I will not delegate because I want the registration table to move quickly. And one of the only ways to ensure that is to make sure the person there cannot be appealed. Yeah. You know, when, when I say no, there's no one they can turn around to and then try to get a yes mm-hmm. because, you know, my no is no. That's it. That's the end of it. I mean, the real, the real I mean, the issue is not necessarily, necessarily that something horrible is going to happen. Um, um, what's, what the issue is that you know, if there is a problem, it's going to be a minor problem, but you as the tournament director are going to be, have to be the one to solve it, and you have other things to do that weekend than solving some stupid kid who gets a nosebleed or something like that, or you can't find the kid or whatever. Um, you don't want to – I just don't – I, no, I have no desire to handle that problem at all, and this, uh, you just don't have to. Go find their coach. Where's their coach? Yeah, and that, and the, you know where the coach is, and the coach solves those problems. Has to be done. And letting kids into your tournament um, without an adult is the dumbest thing you can do. Absolutely, the dumbest thing you can do. Well, that also touches on what Beats was saying earlier about how stressful tournaments are, and what what a lot of kids who go to tournaments don't necessarily realize, and even coaches who attend tournaments who don't run one themselves, is how distressingly little control we really do have over this tournament experience. We, in the tab room, in the tournament directors, I mean, the week before Yale, there will always be about two weeks or so, the weekend, two weekends before Yale, I will just be utterly panicked and dreading that everything is going to go poorly and everything's going to fall apart and I'm going to have a horrible weekend and so are 1,500 of my closest friends. And <laughs> it's just, I, I, I have my pre-Yale panic attack without fail every year and then I get over it and all runs well and fine. And the reason why is that tab rooms, we don't really so much run tournaments as make suggestions to a bunch of people that a tournament might want to happen. 
I mean, right. we, That's we right. hand out pairings and we hand out ballots, but it's really up to the tournament to make the round happen. It's not like we can go around to every single room and make sure everybody's actually talking. You know, we, we just, we coordinate. We don't really run. We don't dictate. And it's very little is really within our control or power. Yeah, I, I always say that, it, and the same thing with camp, but more so with the tournament. I say it's like walking to an edge of a cliff, jumping and hoping that someone put the net out to catch you. It's we you just it's just on faith that we make sure that the tournament all runs runs properly. You do as much as you can to plan and do to try to mitigate disasters from happening. Uh, but at the at the end of the day, it's not on you whether or not everything runs well. That's yep. true. It's on every single participant. And there may be a disaster brewing that I never find out about. There may be. There may be all kinds of little edge cases and things that happen that doesn't even rise to the attention of a tab room. Yeah. Um, and it's terrifying sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just just like a, a round that doesn't happen. Kids are sitting in a room for 45 minutes not thinking to someone yeah. to noti- notify the tab room that the round hasn't started yet. And, and it's been 45 minutes or... Um, you know, a judge going to the wrong room and judging the round. I think that happened this year where someone literally went to the wrong room, judged the round, and didn't tell anyone that he had gone to the wrong room. And so there were just these kids sitting there waiting to be judged and a round that was judged by the wrong person. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, all these things that uh, you, you know, you, you, you can plan for, but you can't really plan for. Um, there's no way to there's no way to make up 45 minutes or even or even you know more of that and so what you usually end up doing is giving out forfeits and buys and hoping Mm -hmm. for the best when things breaks so yeah yep lots of double buys at that point (laughs) well on on this note of um, how little in control we are <laughs> After all of that, we just sort of roll the dice and hope the tournament happens. We have been going on for about fifty minutes, so it really. Chris, are you going to join us about. again next week? Uh, if you think there's more for me to say, yeah. I would like to do um, questions that are often asked at tournaments. Yes, that are asked. Uh, is this tournament going to be paired high long? <laughs> <laughs> I heard a rumor. That- Oh, I heard a rumor itself could be an entire mm-hmm. podcast. People, people are saying that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. So, so we're breaking to uh, triple octos. No, there's I've 30 people in the field. I've had my own students yeah. say to me, I heard that Yale was going to do X with some policy. <laughs> and then I'll oh. tell them, no, 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 we're, gonna do, we're not going to do that. That's stupid. And they're like, but I heard it. Yeah, I, I think it is. It's like, who are you talking to, child? Who do you think is? Oh, yeah. Well, that'll be a good starting point for next week. So, yeah, Chris, do come back. Do join us again. It's, uh, it's fun. And uh, okay, so everybody, that's good. And uh, we'll do it again next week. Great. All right. Bye, everyone. Good night. This is The View from Tab. I'm Jim Menick. I'm John Cruz. And I'm Mike Beats. And uh, we're not wearing any pants. And tonight we have a special guest. Okay, now that we've lost (laughs) 75% of our viewers, let's introduce our special guest. Let's start. Right. No, let's start it again. Okay, one more. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna get letters in the Christian right on that one. <laughs> okay, one more time. This is the view from Tab. I'm Jim Menick. I'm John Cruz. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, we have to restart that. I'm sorry. And we have Mr. And we are wearing pants. Okay, now let's please just restart. Okay, well, this is the last time, and we're just gonna go with whatever happens.